Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. We're going to read two scriptures to begin with. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and then Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Genesis 1, 27, this is in the New Living Translation. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Let's pray. Father, I yield my mouth to you now, my mind, uh, my thoughts. Yield this time to you. Lord, would you say what you want to say the way you want to say it to your people? And I pray, God, that we would listen and that we would obey accordingly. Help us, Lord, not to be hearers of your word and not doers. Lord, we want to do what you say and be who you've recreated us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, in Genesis we find that God is the creator of persons. And in Acts, we find that he is no respecter of those persons. It means he doesn't make a difference between people. Today's message is a discussion of what we typically call uh, the sanctity of human life. And it's the, the message today is called, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. The, the verse in Genesis that we read is all we need to know, really. This is all we need to know about the sanctity of human life. This is why human life is sacred, because we're created in the image of God himself. And if that's the only verse you read, if that's the only justification for our belief in the sanctity of human life, that's enough. We are handcrafted by God himself. He never used any other mold or form to create man. Human, every human being who has ever lived, who ever walked the planet, descended from these two uh, original image bearers, Adam and Eve. That, that means we have this divine resemblance that makes our lives different from every other creature on earth. Now, uh, before you wonder if the divine connection extends to the descendants of Adam and Eve, if that same creator still touches uh, each one of his creation, let's look at this. In Psalm 139, and then in Jeremiah, we're going to read this. Psalm 139, 13, uh, the psalmist said, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Guys, the next time your wife frustrates you, you just say, thank you, Lord, for making her so wonderfully complex. 
Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. And every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The Lord gave me this message. So God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. The word of the Lord was that he was personally involved in the creation of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord is that he knit the psalmist together in his mother's womb. That sounds like personal, creative attention to people long after Adam and Eve had passed. And it wasn't just because David and Jeremiah were destined to be special. God is no respecter of persons. He does not handcraft the prophets and the kings and then outsource, outsource the rest of us as cheap imitations. He is personally involved in creating every baby ever conceived because he loves us. That's why Christians believe that life and personhood begin at conception. That's when that child was, was knit together by the hand of God. It's why we oppose forms of birth control that are post-conception. Not preconception, post-conception, like abortion or even those, the morning-after pills that are available so widely now. Once those cells from the male and the female are joined, that tiny little creature is a human being. With all the sanctity and all the humanity that we would confer upon that same little creature nine months later. Their human lives, at the moment they are conceived, we believe that the sanctity of human life begins at conception. Amen. Here's what that looks like in real life, and I think we can all agree um, with this. And now I want to bring it back to the message title. God doesn't care whether uh, a child is born beautiful and perfect or whether that child has defects or whether that child never made it out of the womb. God doesn't care. He's no respecter of persons. He does not love one of them more than he loves the other one. Right? He, Jesus loves the little children. Not one of them is more human than another. Every one of them is sacred because they are created in God's image. And God doesn't care about anything else. Now let me ask you an important question. We, be, we believe that the sanctity of human life begins at conception. When do we believe that sanctity ends? At what age is a human life no longer sacred? At what point have they made too many bad choices that they are no longer afforded the same consideration and concern that we have for the unborn? Which lives matter and which ones don't? 
Are we pro-life? Or are we just pro-baby? Believing in the sanctity of human life means that we believe there is inherent value in every human being. They don't earn it. It's just provided for them by their connection to the creator. That they deserve to be treated with a certain level of decency and dignity that transcends their actions, transcends their attitudes, or the circumstances in which they were born. See, humans find all kinds of ways to try to rank and rank order the value of people. Right? It's a, it, it's a fool's game. God already answered that question. When he sent Jesus to die for the sins of everyone, he made no exceptions. The love that God has for human beings is the source of the sanctity of human life. It's why we have value. It's why he made us in his image, because he loves us. We keep finding ways to divide and classify people, but there is still the spark of the divine in every human being. We are human, and we are created in his image, and we are dearly loved, and we are eminently valued, and God does not care about anything else. That's what we believe if we believe the word. You know, John, why are you so... Why are you so worried about what we believe about people? Because what you believe about people affects how you treat people. And how you treat people affects whether they will ever believe God for themselves. Let me put it this way. What you believe about people affects whether people will ever believe. Have any of you ever worked for people or gone to school with somebody that they, they, they just didn't like you? They just didn't like you, right? I know all of you are just adorable, just completely lovable, but sometimes people just don't like us. They don't want to listen to your opinion. They don't really want you around. They don't offer respect. And most of them never just flat out told you that, right? So how did you know? Because when you're not valued... You can tell. One of the core values we have at Covenant Life is, is, is how you treat people matters. How you treat people matters. And my concern today is that sometimes there's a disconnect in the American church between what we say we believe and how it plays out in our real lives. So today I want to challenge you what if we find out that we care about some things that God doesn't care about? Amen. Whose opinion are we going to follow? We're going to stick to our guns and assume God will come around? <laughs> Let's get into the word. Matthew 28 and 19. We'll start there. Then we're going to Mark 16. Then we're going to Revelation 5. Mark 28 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all of all. The nations, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, similar. Then he told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Look how picky he is. To everyone. Everyone. Revelation 5, 19, 9 and 10. And they sang, and this is, a, this is the vision of John, uh, of, of the throne of God in heaven. 
They sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll. This is this singing to Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll, break its seals, and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood is, has ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you've caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. If, if Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel to everyone in every nation, and if around the throne of God they give praise to the Lamb who has redeemed people from every nation and every tribe and every language and every people, then we can safely assume that there are some things that we make a big deal about that God simply doesn't care about. God doesn't care about nationality. He doesn't care about nationality. He doesn't love Americans any more than he loves any other nation. God doesn't care about race. He doesn't love white people more than black, black people more than Hispanic, and on and on and on. If we believe Jesus loves the little children of the world, then we also have to believe red and yellow, black and white. Every person is precious in his sight. God doesn't care about language. He does not love people who speak English more than he loves anybody else who speaks any other language. God doesn't care about any of that. He loves every person without limit. So by definition, he loves us all the same. Look at Matthew 25, 34 through 36. Then the king will say, this is Jesus, the words of Jesus, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And after the confused people asked him a few questions, Jesus said this in verse 40. The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. What do we learn from the passage? God doesn't care about your poverty. Not that he isn't moved with compassion towards it, not that he doesn't want to make sure that you have what you need, but that his, his affection for you, his love for you is not affected by your net worth. He thought the poor widow who gave her last two pennies was more righteous than the Pharisee who gave his large, loud offering. He don't care about your poverty. God doesn't care about your social status. You could be the most well-known person in town, or you can be a complete stranger. You can be the the mayor of the city, or, or you can be a homeless person. God loves you the same. In the Old Testament, God defended and blessed a slave girl named Hagar and gave her a revelation of God, a name of God that he had never really revealed to anybody else. In the New Testament, Paul argued for the emancipation of a slave named Onesimus because he was so useful to the kingdom of God. The entire book of of Philemon is is just for that purpose, to get that slave emancipated. You can't get lower socially than a slave. God didn't care about any of that. Guess what? He still doesn't. He still doesn't. 
God doesn't care about your health. Again, not in the sense that he doesn't have compassion or doesn't want to heal. We're talking about loving and valuing people. People look down on chronically sick people for some reason. God doesn't do that. God loves a sick person as much as he loves one who's well. In the Old Testament, in in 2 Samuel, God showed kindness to a physically handicapped individual named Mephibosheth. You should drop that into a conversation at some point this week. Just say Mephibosheth. He was was crippled. Both of his feet were, were, were crushed. And he was, he was crippled the rest of his life. God showed kindness to Mephibosheth through David. And, and he loved him as much as he loves an Olympic athlete. God doesn't, according to Matthew 25, God doesn't care about your criminal record. He loves the one on death row as much as the guard who watches him. As much as the prosecutor who put him there or the officer who arrested him. Now, are some of them dangerous? Yes, Should precautions be taken? Yes. Should they pay for their crimes? Yes. But they're no less valuable as a human being. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, verses 13 through 16. At daybreak, Jesus called all the disciples together and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. Here are the names. Simon, whom he named Peter. Andrew, Peter's brother. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew. Matthew, who was a tax collector, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. That was a motley crew of individuals, man. That was interesting, sitting around the campfire at night, I promise you. But in this list of disciples, there was Matthew, who worked for the Roman government as a tax collector, and there was Simon, who was a Zealot, which was a group of people dedicated to the overthrow, some say the violent overthrow, of that same Roman government that Matthew worked for. Here's what that shows me. God doesn't care about your politics. I'm going to say that one again for the people in the back. No offense to the people in the back. God don't care about your politics. He had disciples from all over the political spectrum and he loved them all and used them all. Deuteronomy. Everybody okay? Amen. A couple of brothers kept, stop breathing that last verse. Y'all just come on now. De- Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you, too, must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 5. This is right before Malachi 3 and 6 where we talk about bringing the tithe into the storehouse. It's the verse before. At that time, I will put you on trial, God's saying this to the people of Israel. I'm eager to witness against all the sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I'll speak against those, uh, those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, and who deprive foreigners living among you of justice. For these people don't fear me, says the Lord. 
John, what, what in the world, what are you saying? I thought this was about the sanctity of life. I thought this was about saving lives. It is about saving lives. It's, but God doesn't care if they're babies or if they're grown-ups. He doesn't care if they're widows. He doesn't care if they're orphans. He doesn't care if they're immigrants. He doesn't care if they're blue-collar workers. He loves all of them and his expectation, his command for us is that we love them too. Look at how he treated the woman at the well. I'm not even going to, this is John 4, if, for, if you're trying to write down all this scripture. Look at how he treated the woman at the well. Or in Luke, uh, I think it's Luke 8, Mary, when she anointed his feet at Simon's house for dinner. God doesn't care about your gender. Look at how he treated the woman caught in adultery. Or Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Look at the father of the prodigal son. The boy came back. He was dirty. He was stinky. He was ceremonially unclean because he had spent time in the pig pen. But the father was watching for him and ran straight to him. Why? God doesn't care that sinners sin. He is not shocked that sinners sin. Listen, God doesn't care about the things that we think separate us from him. He just loves his kids and he wants them to be in right relationship with him. And how we love his kids and how we treat his kids will in large part determine whether or not they will ever get the chance to know him and to meet him on this side of eternity. John, how are we supposed to treat people? Well, from all that scripture that we just read, I think it's pretty clear God expects us to give other human beings, all of them, humane treatment, unbiased justice, and an opportunity to hear the gospel. You say, okay, okay, fine, I think that's doable. But then Jesus took it a step further. He said, you have to love your neighbor. And then he went on to show us that our neighbor is everybody. So if I can borrow a book title from Bob Goff, we're to love everyone always. And then Jesus took an even more uncomfortable step further. He said, not only love your neighbors, he said, love your enemies. Guess who that leaves out? Nobody. So what does that look like? It means you treat people like they're human beings. It means you treat them as if they were created in the image of God, no matter what they've done to mar that image. It means looking out for their best interest, even if they didn't ask you to. It means speaking up for those who have no voice or whose voices are ignored. It means standing up for people who are being mistreated. It means providing for people's needs, even if they don't show any appreciation for it. It's allowing them to be around you when everybody else runs them off. It's offering them dignity and respect even if they are undignified and disrespectful. I am still preaching out of the Bible, right? You say, well, okay, that's fine. I'll respect somebody, but they're going to have to follow my rules. That's not love. That's the law. Well, if I'm going to give somebody something, they, they better at least be grateful. That's not love. That's pride. Is it about meeting their need or about meeting your need for gratification? 
You say, well, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them by telling them the truth. And I'm going to tell them the truth whether it hurts them or makes them mad. That's not love. That's about you proving yourself right. And that's pride. Again, you don't even know what truth they need to hear until you've loved them enough to hear their story. We have to love everyone in the same way that God loves us because he created every single person in his image. You can't mistreat a person who looks like your daddy. So how do you treat people whose house is not in the same price range as yours? How do you treat people whose clothes don't have the same labels that yours have? How do you treat people whose cars create more noise and smoke than yours does? Or what about the other way around? How do you treat people who've got more than you? How do you treat people that's got a job that's more well-respected than yours is? Do you assume things about their lives and about their character? God doesn't care about all that stuff. But do we? Does it affect how we treat people? Does it affect how we treat people at church? Look at what the brother of Jesus had to say about it. Uh, James, chapter 1. I wrote that wrong. Hang on. I gave them the wrong scripture. I gave them a scripture that don't even exist, I think. Okay, it's chapter 2, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, someone suppose someone comes into your meeting, into your church service, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who's dressed poorly and uh, who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor person, you can stand over there or maybe you can sit on the floor. Well, doesn't that discriminate that discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Look at verse 8. Yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Which law? The royal law of Christ, which is to love everybody. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who's broken all of them. A few years ago, someone asked Valerie, we were doing an outreach, someone asked Valerie if it was okay for her to come to our church because she, didn't, she doesn't own a dress. And Valerie told her, of course, you come just like you are. She said, you, you, jeans, shorts, sweatpants, you, just whatever you got, you just come on. Do you know why she felt like she had to ask that question? Because there are some churches in this county who rejected her because she didn't meet their dress code. And they communicated that either directly or indirectly. Because y'all know we can communicate a whole lot without ever saying a single word. God forbid that should ever happen in this church. It, It gets worse. 
I usually tell you there's good news. This ain't even good news. This ain't even better news. The same lady who was white then asked Valerie if it would be okay for her to bring her husband who was black. Valerie told her, come right on. You will be welcome with open arms. It's the 21st century. Why in the world did she even have to ask Because there are churches in this county where they would never have gotten past the front door as an interracial couple. God forbid that should ever happen at Covenant Life. Listen, since we don't wait it out in it, we're going to dive in. Would you rather see a sinner come in in a Trump shirt or in a Biden shirt? I told you we were going to get in it. Those of you who don't have anything to do, I'll be moving this week. We already saw God. I've I've heard churches just about get tore up over Georgia and Alabama. We already saw God don't care about politics. If we'd be happier to see one of those shirts than the other, we're valuing something God doesn't. And since I'm moving anyway, we're making a God. We're making a God out of something that isn't. Would you rather see a wealthy couple come in and find Jesus or a homeless couple? God doesn't care about money or about poverty. Why do we? What if there's a revival in the Indian population in our area and that's a growing population in this county? What if there's a revival there? Are are we good with about 30 people who recently immigrated from India joining our fellowship? Hold your nose, we're diving deeper. What about gay people? What about transgender people? What about people struggling with substance abuse? How would we treat them if they came in and sat down beside you in your chair next week? That's a different message. We don't don't have time for that. In your chair. Would would, Would your face communicate? What would your face communicate to them? Because you know some of y'all got a problem with that face, right? Y'all just can't seem to. (laughs) Me too. Would you smile at them? Shake their hand? Introduce yourself? Invite them to sit beside you? Or would you suddenly develop develop a cough and need to excuse yourself to the lobby for the rest of the service? If we protest the killing of unborn babies of all types, but we don't necessarily want them to grow up and attend our churches, we need to search our hearts. Don't you dare say you're pro-life. You say, John, hang on, what about sin? These people are in sin. God hates sin, doesn't he? Yeah, he sure does. He loves sinners. He loves sinners. 
You can love and welcome a sinner without condoning the sin. That is possible. And as a matter of fact, it's a necessary trait that we better start figuring out how to develop. John, I don't know about this. Jesus loved you when you were a sinner, didn't he? How many people are in churches all over the country this morning who slept with their boyfriends and girlfriends last night or got a big hangover this morning? And listen, I'm glad. I'm not condemning. I'm glad they're in church. But adultery, fornication, and drunkenness is all clearly labeled sin in the Bible. Which sinners are welcome in our churches and which ones aren't? Could we do like a list? Could we put a list on the door? So if you're engaged in these sins, it's just come on in. But these sins, oh, absolutely not. How many people go to church every week who's full of pride, gluttony, and laziness? And I want to tell you why I picked those three out. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Sodom's sin, y'all heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness. Look, while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. Sodom wasn't just destroyed because of homosexuality. They weren't just destroyed because of the gang violence that they tried to, that they tried to perpetrate on the two angels of the Lord. The Sodomites were guilty of ignoring the obvious needs of their fellow human beings, Amen. and they did nothing about it. Amen. They ignored the sanctity of human life. And our pulpits are full of people who are busy condemning Sodom over homosexuality when they're guilty of the same sins that got them destroyed. So, okay, John, so now I guess you're just pro-gay, right? You're just flying that rainbow flag out the back of your 2007 Ram truck. Listen, y'all know better than that. But I'm pro-everybody getting treated with respect by people who claim the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm pro-everybody getting unbiased judgment. I'm pro-everybody getting a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm pro-everybody who is honestly seeking the truth, being welcomed here so they can find the truth. I'm pro-everybody getting a chance to experience God's love through God's people and being changed by it like I was. And our lack of understanding of the sanctity of every human life stands in the way of our ability to, to fulfill the Great Commission. Our mistreatment of people isn't just an indication that we love them less. As far as they're concerned, it's proving that God loves them less because we come in his name. How will people experience the love of Jesus if they can't experience it through us? Didn't Jesus die for everybody? You say, John, I, just don't, I don't know about just allowing anybody in the church. Now, this is the house of a holy God. 
Listen, if a human being wants to know about Jesus, is prevented from entering these doors, or made to feel like they don't belong, you don't got to worry about offending a holy God because he won't be anywhere near this place. The moment we start deciding who gets in and who doesn't, the moment we decide some people have value and some people don't, we may as well write Ichabod across the door because the glory will have departed from this place. It'll be just like the book of Revelation. The the candlestick will be removed and will be done. And we can still keep coming and we can still keep encouraging each other and singing cool songs and giving in the offering. We We can still entertain each other, we will no longer be a church. Inside the church and outside the church, if we say we believe in the sanctity of human life, we have to demonstrate that in how we treat people. We have to stop caring about things God does not care about and start caring about what he does care about. So we have to care about widows And we have to care about foster kids. And we have to care about the elderly. And we have to care about immigrants. And we have to care about working conditions. And we have to care about disproportionate wages. And we have to care about human trafficking. And we have to care about human rights. And we have to care about civil rights. And we have to care about uh, racism and prejudice and discrimination. And we have to care about poverty. And we have to care about the unborn. We have to care about these things because God cares about these things. If you have to look at what party they're affiliated with before you decide if their position is right or wrong, you're valuing something God doesn't care about. If you have to look at their race before we decide if their actions are defensible or not, we're valuing something God doesn't care about have to look at their gender or their orientation or their clothes or their social status or their W-2s before we share Jesus with them or invite them to church. We're valuing something God doesn't care about. Corey, come on and play something, please. We have a decision to make. Do we believe in the sanctity of human life? Are we pro-life or are we just pro-baby? Are we okay with saving babies and then abandoning them when they're born into poverty and abuse and neglect? Every person that you meet every day deserves basic dignity, unbiased justice, the opportunity to hear the gospel. They can be babies or full-grown. They can be healthy or sick. They can be cops or criminals. They can be Republicans or Democrats, Jews or Gentiles, slaves or kings, males or females, saints or sinners. God doesn't care. He loves everybody. He expects every one of us to do the same from the cradle to the grave or as they say from the womb to the tomb what we believe affects 
how we treat people. And how we treat people matters. Matters to God. If God doesn't care about it, we can't afford to care about it either. Why don't y'all stand with me? So, John, you're not going to take any more time to kind of land the plane? No, I just kind of decided I'd just crash land. We've got to search our hearts. I do every week before, well, I say that. I, I may have missed a few weeks, so I ain't trying to lie in the pulpit. Every week, it's my, it's my intention to search my heart and make sure my motives are clean and pure. And I ain't up here mad and I ain't trying to prove a point to somebody that made me mad this week that, right, that I've got, that it's either, it's, this is either what the book says or it's not. You don't get to make it up and fill in the blanks. It's either what, it, what the book says or not. And I don't know, probably five or six times this week, I went back to the Lord and said, okay, whew, hey, check me out now. <laughs> make sure, because I know what's stirring in me and I want to make sure that, that it comes out from the right place that I'm saying what you say not what I think and if I missed it I missed it with the best of intentions but we've got to deal with what this word says and even if I missed a point or two and you disagree with me what are we going to do with all the rest of it I was talking with Diaz this week she said what's like what's the altar call (laughs) yeah I have no idea Except that here's the word of the Lord. What are we going to do with it? We're going to be hearers or we're going to be doers. And so this altar is open. For anybody who wants to pray about anything, it is every week. You've got a sickness in your body. You've got a relationship issue going on. You've got a, you got a big decision you need to pray about. And the altar is always open for all kinds of things. So whatever you need to pray about, you come on. But if God's pricked your heart and is checking your motives and checking your attitudes, come pray about that. Come pray about that because I promise you as a parent, there is nothing more important to me than how you treat my kids. Father, I just pray that you draw everybody to you today. I thank you for your word and I thank you for your truth. I thank you for a congregation of people who wants to hear the truth even if it gets a little tight sometimes. And I pray, Lord, that you draw us to yourself and that you help us. Help us to be a pure reflection of your love and your light and your truth. We all got preferences. We all got things that we like better than others. We just can't afford to do that in your kingdom. I pray that you purify us. Purify us. In Jesus' name. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.